Hello. Hi, John. Hi, Dan. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for being so considerate with your, your soft open. Has it calmed down now? Can I talk regular volume or? Yeah, I yeah. suppose. All right. What's going on? Are you better? Are you recovered? Oh, oh. You had eaten something bad or you had a food poisoning or something happening. Yeah, I feel like if I hadn't recovered from food poisoning by now, that this would be a, this would be a bad situation. I yeah. would be I'd have to be dealing with it a different way than talking about it on a podcast. Yeah, probably. It's usually a short term thing and it was in this case. Oh good. Yeah. And that's what I want to hear. Yeah, a Portland burrito. Ugh. At one o'clock in the morning is not a thing I can recommend to everyone. So yeah, I'm sure be that very careful with your concern. You're getting, you're not a young man anymore. You're not a, no, the, it has nothing to do with that. A bottomless pit anymore. Eat whatever you want. Do whatever you want. No, no, no. I can still do both those things. I can eat whatever I want and I can do whatever I want. Yeah, okay. Speaking but of that, I was wondering, case, do you, there was something that, that came up in conversation with a friend of mine. And they were asking me if uh, if you did have done or currently do any kind of strength training, physical strength, strength training, weightlifting, uh, or any, or have ever done anything like that. Well, as a matter of fact, <clears throat> in high school, you know, you have to have a uh, physical education component. At least in my high school, you had to you had to take gym class. Right. I think that's probably true everywhere. Yeah. And you know, early on, I guess I took like gym soccer or something because in Anchorage, a lot of the sports have to happen inside uh-huh. all winter long. So soccer is just like g- gym soccer, which is pretty fun. Not really a not really like. I mean, indoor soccer is a sport, but gym soccer is not really a sport. Yeah. Uh, and I tried out for the cross country skiing team and I was, um, super bad at it. (laughs) Um, and eventually I just sort of like, I didn't want to be in swimming. I wasn't, I didn't feel, I just didn't want to go to gym. Yeah. But I ended up in, in the weight room. Right. And I thought that the weight room was a perfect place because, Coach Pete just sort of sat behind a desk at the door of the weight room. And as long as you didn't leave. <laughs> that sounds like my high school gym uh, weight, weight <laughs> class, too. Yeah. As long as you didn't leave, you could do what you wanted. And so I liked gym or I liked uh, weight training because you kind of walk around, you chat, you watch somebody, you spot somebody, you right. know, and sure. sort of just stand around. And every once in a while you do some exercise. What I didn't realize was that the grade was, I mean, they calculated the grade by testing you at the start and then testing you at the end. And at the end of a, of a semester of gym class, I could lift the same amount as I lifted when I started. Oh, right. So coach Pete, I mean, he obviously could tell that I wasn't working very hard. Yeah. I wasn't one of his star students, but I had really not worked at all. And so I got a bad, I got a bad grade in gym. And that wasn't unusual. I'd gotten a lot of bad grades in gym, but somewhere around my junior year, 
I think this is when this is when it happens. If you're going to be a uh, weightlifter type person, round about your junior year, when you start to, you know, your body starts to fill out. I, I, I saw a couple of people I know or knew go from being skinny kids to being buff kids. Right. And it happens real fast. And one of them was a guy named John Gerald. And John was a year older than me. And he was like, he was the funny guy of the class ahead of me. Mm-hmm. And I was the funny guy of my class. Right. Sure. John Gerald was funny, but he was cruel. He was cruel and mean, Hmm. but I still admired him. I really, really thought that he was hilarious because, you know, when you see like the power that the funny guy has in class, if you're not going to be the, if you're not going to be the strong guy or the fast guy, the funny guy is like, it's kind of where you want, where you hope to end up. Sure. Anyway, John Gerald's cousin, Eric Spurlock was a friend of mine and Eric was actually very funny. Also, he was vying with me for who was funniest in our class. And John Gerald had gotten buff. He'd gone from skinny, pimply, mean kid to buff, pimply, mean kid. And he said to Eric Spurlock, you know, you need to go start going to the gym this summer because you're a, you're skinny, pimply kid and you need to change it. And I was chubby, funny kid, mm-hmm. not pimply, thank God. And so I started going to the gym with these guys. And it was there was a lot of standing around and chatting and bullshitting. But John Gerald, bless his heart, even though he was the source of tremendous pain for me all the way through high school. Because, of course, the, the mean, funny guy, the number one person he wants to direct his attention to is the mean funny guy that's one year younger than him. <laughs> yeah. I took a lot of I took a lot of shit off of John Gerald, but he uh he didn't let me just sit around that summer and not lift weights. He was on me, you know. It was a small group. It was just three of us. And I wanted to impress him. And so I started lifting weights and I got so that I really enjoyed it. And it's not that I ever became buff and I didn't really lose any weight. You know, I was just, I was still chubby. Yeah. <laughs> but I sort of developed this, uh, this enjoyable habit. And then a few years later I had a, I had a surgery on my knee and as part of the rehab, I went to this you know, rehab center that was probably charging the insurance company a thousand dollars an hour. Mm-hmm. But because of the time of day I went, there were like six physical therapists standing around and nobody else. It was, I don't know what it was. I went sometime in the afternoon when nobody went to physical therapy. So I was always in there alone. And after I'd done my exercises, I asked them, uh, if I could stick around and just use their weight equipment Mm -hmm. and they were like, well, nobody else is here. You know, we'll turn a blind eye. And so I would go do my physical therapy and then I would stay for another hour and just weight train. And here are all these physical therapists standing around. They got nothing to do. So they would come around and kind of coach me on what I was, you know, how I was using the equipment. Right. 
And subsequent to that, anytime I feel like getting, you know, that, that, that spring feeling of like, you know what, I'm going to get in shape. Right. I always go to the gym and do strength training. Yeah. You know, I, I never do, uh, it's not like I ever decide I'm going to do Pilates. I always go to the weight machines and to the free weights. So although I'm not doing it now and I haven't done it for a long time, somehow, and you know, and I have, I'm big, I have big muscle musculature and, and a, a big guy or a big person, big frame. Mm-hmm. And so I've built a sub architecture of strength. And, uh, and so I remain kind of strong even when I'm not using the gym. I mean, if I was, if I were using the gym now, I would be more strong. Yeah. But you know, I'm strong. Like I can lift things. I can, I can climb things. Um, and I look forward to the next time I go to the gym. That's the funny thing. Like I don't, I don't dislike it. The only thing I dislike it about it is getting a gym membership. It drives yeah. me crazy. Yeah, that's that's a racket. And there's not there's no gyms around here that 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 intrigue me. And so it's like, ugh, get in the car and drive twenty minutes to go to a gym where they're where they're trying to get you to buy some crazy membership structure. So I'm not. Anyway, suffice to say, I'm not going now. But I do do it. Do you? Oh yeah, yeah. But I mean that that was all part of my uh, the recovery, the back issues that I had from having bad. You know, I mean, like I was a computer guy for a long time, which meant sitting at a desk and typing. And the posture and the position that you're in, unless you're very conscious of it, it's very easy. Or it was for me very easy to form bad habits as far as how, how I sat and how long I sat without taking breaks. And you know, the, you've seen that, uh, that stupid, you know, the evolution of humankind where it starts out, it's got like a chimpanzee and then it's got a, like a Neanderthal man. And then it's got a modern day human. And then the next one, it's got a modern day human hunching awkwardly over a computer uh-huh. Yeah, that was kind of me, and I guess I did that long enough combined with genetics or whatever else, and I just wound up creating just tons of lower back. I think we talked about this once, just tons of lower back issues for myself that basically meant that I couldn't lift anything, not because of my arms or shoulders or whatever, but just because of my lower back. I couldn't lift anything that weighed anything much. And I was always in some kind of back pain or difficulty uh, pretty much all the time of varying degrees. Like, would would I have to take an Advil that day or or could I get through the day without it? Would I have to put ice on it once a day or twice a day? That, that kind of thing. How frustrating. Really bad. And I remember um, I was actually, I went had gone to, I think it was a WWDC one year where from just all the sort of standing and walking and, you know, putting carry-ons up into airplanes and stuff like that, that it just kind of culminated to the point where I wound up, instead of going to hang out with, with friends and going to a party, I spent the evening with, like, incredibly horrible sciatic pain, 
that Advil and ice and other things wouldn't touch. And it was just made the whole trip kind of miserable. And after that, I said, you know, it does, does it have to be this way? I don't, I think there must be a better way than this. There's gotta be a better way. There's gotta be a better way. So, uh, when I got back, I started going to uh, a doctor who does, she does, um, it's, it's not massage because massage is, has, I think a different, like philosophy behind it. But this thing is she worked with like the UT uh, basketball teams and other things they have here. They're sort of like as their ready to go person who fixes up people with these sports injuries. And I learned, obviously what I had wasn't quite a sport injury, but she does this thing where it like, it helps you re- release them sort of muscle and tension and things that were building up. And that was very effective in helping me. But Still, like I was going once a week and is expensive. And I, I said, like, how can I not have to come to you every week? And she said, well, you know, obviously, obviously you would need to do initially sort of like essentially rehab and then actually go into like strength training to eliminate this problem forever. And I said, you mean that like it is within my own power as a human being to fix this? And she's like, absolutely. And sure, her specialty is like back and spine stuff. And I said, all right. So I started, I started, uh, just it, what was essentially like what you would call strength training, but it was so remedial <laughs> and basic that it was like the things that most people just take for granted as being able to do, like, um, lay down on the ground and get back up like that without, you know, like using objects in the room and furniture to stabilize yourself was very painful. So, you know, I came from, that uh over the course of you know of a year of training two or three times a week to you know being in a, i've talked with merlin about it at, at one point but to being able to do you know i mean like i don't know squat 180 or 200 pounds you know like which is a lot for me i'm a small guy and you know so but the main focus has been going from that point of like i'm in i'm in pain all the time how much how bad is it going to be today to actually being, you know, fairly strong for my size. And, um, and, but it, you know, it's something like, I can't, I can't not do it. You know, I'll be doing this forever to stay, to stay ahead of the issues in the aging process and everything else. Uh, but you know, I like, I, I enjoy it. Like you were saying, it's something that I enjoy a lot. I really have found a lot of benefits from it in my life. Otherwise, uh, so I'm, I'm certainly not complaining about it, but the gym that I go to, it's like one of the gyms where like you work with like a, like a personal trainer, because that's how I kind of came into it from needing help. Like, you know, like I couldn't, I couldn't do sit-ups. I had to do assisted sit-ups, which is where you take, there's like a, one of those TheraBand stretchy band things. And I would like use that to pull myself up. It was really bad. Like my back had no strength in it at all. And I, and it, it got that way over many years. I just didn't realize until it was really bad. And I was spending a couple of days a month just in bed in pain. I didn't really realize how far I'd let it go. You know, now I'm doing sit-ups where you slam the medicine ball against the wall and grab it while you're doing sit-ups and like all that stuff. It's like fine now, but if I've got to put in time, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's just one of those things that like, I got to that point where I was like, oh shit, I, I guess I have to do this now. Like this is just part of being me is I have to do this stuff. But the mm-hmm. upside is I do kind of like it, but I, it occurred to me because I feel like you're such a, there's, there's a couple guys in this gym 
who are there. Like if you were to look at them, you would say, well, this is a big human being, but they don't look swole as the kids say, you know what I mean? Like they don't, they don't have that, but like there's an incredible physical strength. And that's kind of what I feel like you've, you have cultivated is like to look at you, you wouldn't think, wow, John's like a roided out beast. But I feel like you could you could lift people easily if you wanted. Like you could lift a person and set them down if they were in your way or something. Are you talking about me? Yeah. Yes, I can lift a person and easily. I'm just like like yeah. put put your hands under their their arms, and like you would with a child almost, just sort of pick the child. Mm. No, no, don't stand near the oven. And you mm. just pick. But you would do that with a full grown adult man. It is not hard. I. Uh, you know, the other thing about it, of course, Dan, is that I was a downhill skier when I was a kid. And mm. from the age of probably eight to 24, I was skiing all the time and, and ski racing. So my um, my legs are very strong. And that helps with the lifting yeah. of things and the climbing and so forth. Definitely. Um, so, uh, so I have a lot of power there and, and, uh, and maybe that helps. It helps the whole thing. Um, you know, I've had to learn Dan to stop picking guys up and moving them out of my way. It's, you know, it becomes socially awkward. <laughs> right. If you're constantly like, you know, you're in my way at this buffet line. Mm-hmm. I'm just yeah. going to pick you up and move you over here. Right. Um, but, but thank you for reminding me. I've never had low, lower back problems and I, and I'm thankful for it. Especially uncle, because you're so tall. All the tall guys always seem to have them. My uncle suffers from lower back problems, you know, his whole life. Cause he was a football player. Oh, right. I've never had them. My back pain has always been in my shoulders and neck. And I used to, when I was, uh, in my twenties because I was living a very toxic life Mm. and my understanding from the, uh, from the people who, who follow these things, at least at the time was that if you're having liver problems, if you're right, we talked about this once that, yeah, yeah, I remember that manifests in your neck and shoulder. Right. Uh, but I never had lower back problems and, and I'm grateful, but I should, I should a stop lifting people up and moving them out of my way. And second, I should start going back to the gym. So thank you for reminding me of that. I really, uh, I do need some, I do need a regimen more than anything. You know, yeah. if my regimen was just walk to the top of this tall hill every morning. Right. Um, that would be, you know, that would be a plenty good regimen, but I, I don't have one right now. My regimen right now is I look at the clock and if it's, if it's before about one twenty in the morning, I still feel like I can get another meal in. And that is a, that is a bad regimen. Yeah. Um, and I need to just, I need to tighten up my scene. So weightlifting is, that's, that's what I like. But I'm with like you to, about the whole gym membership thing. That is a total, total racket, total racket. And, I just, I don't know like what, like how those gyms, they, they're, they're, I don't know what people do. Like they just go to the gym, they get a membership and then just go a couple times a week and like they're 
they just know what to do and they know that their form is correct and they know how many reps of each thing to do. I mean, is that, I don't know. Yeah. Just, I'm, I'm just sort of musing about what exactly people are doing by themselves at, at a gym. Like, are they just, just trying, how do they come up with their own workout program? The right number of reps, the right number of. Oh, I've always done, I've always just been solo. You walk in and you look at the machines and they're ordered a certain way. And, uh, you know, the difference between the arm ones and the back ones and then leg ones. So you're doing all with machines. You don't do free weights. No, I do free weights too, but like the machines are the way that you get an idea of what the exercise actually is. Right. Right. You go like this, you go like that. And so by using the machines, you get a sense of, of the motions that you're trying to do. And then you go over to the free weights and what makes the free weights hard is that you also have to control them. Right. And so you get a much sort of uh, more holistic exercise mm-hmm. just by virtue of trying to stabilize these weights. But you kind of are doing the same general exercises. I, as I'm talking, I'm sitting here doing, I'm, I'm, I'm as if doing free weights here, waving my arms around in my room. Oh, you're like, you're just doing a, like a pantomime of, of- I'm, yeah, I'm pantomiming for you, but I'm also like, you know, as soon as I started to do it, I was like, yeah, and then you do this one. Right. That right. One. Uh, but I also, you know, the machines, some some things, the machines are just as good as anything, you know, uh, for some exercises. And so, yeah, you just pursue. I mean, I guess I've always done. What is the concept, right? You either do sh- small reps of super heavy weights or big reps of super or, or lighter, lighter weights. Sure. And I sort of, I guess I've always done the thing where you pick a weight that seems right and you do as many reps as you can. And then you put it down and go walk around, <laughs> take a drink of water, and then come back and do it again. And try and, you know, and three three times do as many reps as you can with a weight that feels heavy to you. Right. <clears throat> I don't know. I think that's just what John Gerald taught me to do. Um, John Gerald incidentally went to Hollywood and became some kind of screenwriter. Huh. Uh, he's out there still somewhere in the world. I don't know. I'm, I haven't, I haven't spoken to him since 1985, but I know he's there. Yeah. Probably still doing reps. Uh, Dan, <laughs> I hate to interrupt this, but uh, several weeks ago, I was sent a package. So I have two packages. Oh, we got to open them. No, you got to open them. Well, except one of them. So one of the packages came from Scotland. Oh, that's a good one. Very, yeah. And it's very, it's a fairly big package. It's very artfully decorated. And. Last night I was at my office and I was like, I got to grab that package because I know I'm recording with Dan tomorrow. And then I just spaced it. Hmm. So the Scottish package is, is out there and I'm going to, I'm going to get it. If the, if you are listening to this program in Scotland and you sent me a package, I think we can narrow it down to just a few people. It could be, uh, 
I'm, I'm aware of this package and I'm going to get it. Now there's another package that's been sitting on my piano for several weeks now that was sent to me by Andrew Crusoe, who is a person that I see on the internet quite a bit. Yeah. I, I know that. I know that name. Andrew Crusoe. Yeah. Uh, from, uh, he lives in Wisconsin, mm. a place called Reedsburg, which I've never heard of, but I assume that it was called, Reedsburg because it was a swampy place. Yeah. And there were a lot of reeds there. Mayor's income, Tennessee. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like one of those kind of places. But uh Andrew sent me this package a long time ago and he has been wondering why I haven't opened it. And it's been sitting on my piano every time we do this show. You know, I walk past it. But so he uh contacted me and he said, How do I get you to open my package? I sent it to you. And I'm like, uh, remind me, remind me of, remind me. And then he, he did. He reminded me. He also asked why you and I never record our show live. But I didn't have an answer for that. I feel like we're live right now. Well, yeah, but he wanted to be able to call in or something. Oh, right. We could do that if you want. Do you want to do that? Well, that's the thing. I said to him, why would I want to do that? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't think you wanted to. Yeah, and he he couldn't he couldn't give me an answer about why I would want to. He gave me an answer about why he would want me to. Right. But okay. So I'm opening it. it, it just, just as an FYI, the difference yeah. between whether we record this live or not is do I do a backup recording in audio hijack or instead do I launch the streaming, the nice cast app to stream it? It's, hmm. you know, so it's no, no problem for you. No, it's saying. which, which of the two red buttons do I click? So Andrew has sent me a copy of a book by Andrew Crusoe. The same, the very same Andrew Crusoe? Very same. It's, the book is called The Truth Beyond the Sky. It, by the cover art, is clearly a science fiction novel. Oh. There's, um, there's a crystal pyramid, or, or at least a pyramid. It appears to be crystal, but it may not be. There are three heroes um, who are arranged as three heroes often are one in front, two behind. There's a streaking comet in the background. It's a, it, it seems to be only a one moon system. Oh, wow. One of the heroes has a little green bird on her shoulder. Like a right, parrot or not, not a well, parrot? Well, no, it's like a, yeah, it's sort of like a little familiar. It doesn't really look like a parrot. It looks like a budgie. Like a little, a little, little green budgie. Okay, so uh, he he. Well, uh, you know, it's quite a long note. Uh, he starts, "Aloha, John." Um, ever since I saw you on the Merlin show, Dan, did you ever see the Merlin show? The Merlin show. Uh, that was a video program that Merlin did a number of years back, where he would interview. He would be sort of sitting on a on a lawn chair outside somewhere and interview a friend. And I, I saw the one with you, and I think he did a couple others that I saw. Yeah. But there weren't a whole lot of them. I think it was a very exclusive, limited deal. Yeah, there weren't a lot of them. And, and I think, you know, and what he's indicating here by saying that is that he's an OG. Right. He was already in. He was already into the game before the game even. That's right. Before the rules even got laid. Yeah, out. before there were podcasts, there was the Merlin show, and you were interviewed by Merlin on the Merlin show. Correct. Uh, all right. He sent, he wrote this note more than a month ago. 
Uh, I've loved your storytelling ability, eventually led to Roderick on the Line and Roadwork, both of which are in my top five podcasts of all time. Nice. And that's, that includes, Dan, podcasts all the way back to the 40s and 50s. Right. The, orig- the real originals. <laughs> mm-hmm. Here's a token of appreciation. Hundreds of hours I've spent listening to you. Uh, now he's using a little bit of um, – now he's using a little bit of like extra sensory perception here when mm. he says, I sense you'll love the truth beyond the sky. Oh, the first book in my mythic science fiction book series, My- mythic science fiction. Huh? I've never heard that coin of phrase mythic science fiction. Yeah. It's causing me to, to wonder I'm chewing on the, I'm chewing on those words. I can it's tell, I type- can tell you what that is. If, Oh, okay. You, yeah. Do you know what mythic science fiction is? Well, I, I, I can tell you what mythic fiction is. All right. Um, and that is a fiction that comes from like the, 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 the themes uh, that went into myths or legends or fairy tales and, and things like that. But yeah. mythic science fiction would may, maybe does that mean that they have elves hmm. in spaceships mm. or orcs that's, with lightsabers? That's kind of an interesting idea. That's what I'm thinking. Elves in spaceships. That's what all I right. Think. I don't. Looking at the cover, I don't see anyone with elf ears, but but all all three of them do look sort of elvish. <laughs> well, uh, we'll we'll let that we'll let that one ride. <laughs> It's the type of, well, here, he's going to explain it. It's the type of around the galaxy and back tale that I'm sure a traveler like you will appreciate. I have been around the galaxy and back, so <laughs> I'll be able to see how true to life this is. And hopefully it'll help you remember me. Here we go. Here's here's the, uh, he now he's he set the hook. Uh-huh. And now he's, now here comes the ask. He wants me to remember him when the giant claw of super train is finally deployed. I see. So he's hoping that he, that the sending me this book is going to save him. Mm-hmm. I, I can't make any promises. Keep up the great work. The next time I find myself in Seattle, I'll let you know. And please underlined know that if you decide to release more music, I'll be there waiting in line. Smiley face. And this is a handwritten note that he put a smiley face emoticon in. Oh, nice. By the way, the book is for ages 11 to 111. I like that. I mean, that's that's almost as all-inclusive as you can get, almost. Yeah, but my kid is six years old, so yeah, too bad. Too bad. Uh, so he, and then you reference this, sir. So your kid might, uh, might even love it someday. Who knows? Uh, Paradising in your wake, Andrew Crusoe. P.S. Please forgive my handwriting. His handwriting is actually pretty good. So it's a paperback book. It has, um, he has dedicated it here or at least signed it. And, oh, it's from, it's from 2012. So it's, he was saying it's the first in a, uh, first in a series. Well, thank you, Andrew, for the lovely gift. This book has 38 chapters, which I kind of like, you know, that means short chapter, as a reader, you got to like a short chapter. Read a chapter, put the book down, read another chapter. Right, sure. Yeah. All right, well, 
It's right here on my right here on my bookshelf now. A bookshelf of friend books. And now all I have to do is get to the get to the large Scottish package and uh You're going to go physically get that? Not right now. Oh. Not right now. We'll get that uh, that'll be for a future show. Okay. Whew, I'm glad to have that. Oh, that off my shoulders. Do you feel that that I mean it's clear that he's a fan. It's clear that he's a fan. Do you feel that he is that it is in some way sort of then we talked about this once, but I want to just check back in with you. Do you feel that that's some some part of that is self promotional that his goal is just simply to get you to mention the book on the program and have <clears throat> ten tens of thousands of people hear about the book through through you well, certainly, yeah. Nothing that's not wrong. Nothing wrong with that. Certainly, that's what he's doing. But also, <clears throat> I think that I think that one of the one of the things that people like about the program is a sense that because it's such a uh, such a personal format, yeah, that it really does. It does feel, it feels to me even that mm-hmm. the people that are listening to this program are members of a kind of extended uh, family, at least, of shared, shared affection. Uh, to listen to this program and enjoy it over the long term, you would have to have a feeling of commonality. Yeah. That isn't just, oh, we all like muscle cars or we all like uh, The Legend of Zelda. Right. Because a thing like that, if you if, if 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 you all like muscle cars, yeah, there's it's presumed there's a there's a commonality, but it, uh, but not necessarily that you're all going to share a world of ideas. Yeah. So, so a, a thing like Andrew sending me his book, I think he wants me to have the book, but he and he wants me to talk about it, and and because he imagines that the people that are listening to the program are his, the audience that he'd like to reach. Mm. That doesn't seem that that's not weird to me right there. There. I wish there was a way that everybody that listens to the program could know about one another, interact with each other. If they so chose, I know there are a lot of people listening to this program who right now, even the thought of being asked to interact with any of the other listeners causes them to grimace in horror. Mm, yeah. And they're like, please do not set up something where other listeners of Roadwork can get in touch with me. And believe me, it's very unlikely to happen. So you can relax and go back to your tool bench and breathe a sigh of relief. You are not going to be asked to go to a conference. No. Um, but yeah, there's, I mean, ha, ha, there's billions of people in the world and, um, and we're all here by choice. So I don't begrudge it. I mean, I don't think there, I don't have a problem with it. No. I mean, what it's do you, fine. how do you reach, how do you reach out? How do you reach out to the world? You got to find it. You got to find a way. Yeah. Right. Cause if I, we don't want to open the door to anyone, anyone who wants to get their thing promoted on the show just needs to send it to John and he'll, he'll spend 10 minutes talking about, <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm not, if you send me like telemarketing material or timeshare material, I'm probably, 
I'm probably going to rip it a new one. Yeah. But so far, nobody's sent me anything that felt like grossly opportunistic. It's all the product of their own. I was going to say he wrote it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not. It's not like he's got some big company and he's doing a thing. It's just like his uh, his his own novel that he did. How many of us yeah. walk around saying, "Well, I did an, I did that novel." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We got a uh, we got a sponsor. Oh, who's the sponsor? It's Squarespace. Yay! Do you know Square? You're familiar with the uh, with the Squarespace folks. I am familiar with Squarespace. They've been so good to me. They've been very good to you and to us and to all of podcasting. I think as a whole, and you know they're always they're always coming out with new stuff over there. They've got new templates that they come out with to make you yourself a beautiful website. And they have this slogan: "Make make your next move with Squarespace. Make your next website. You know this is their this is their thing. People want to make more stuff. One thing is I don't feel like enough for a lot of people. They want to come up with something new. Squarespace is a great place to get started doing that kind of thing. Whether it's you just want to make a blog and you want a really simple, straightforward experience, or you want to make a whole website for your business or your product or in your case, your album or whatever it is that you want to do, you can pretty much do it with Squarespace. They even have this thing that lets you make your own logos. You can register your domain names through there. They're a one-stop shop for everything. They've got 24-7 customer service. Uh, you name it, and you can really, truly make any kind of website. A friend of mine, uh, he, uh, we talked about this a little bit on our show, the Vintage Watch thing. He make, He restores and services vintage watches. He then turns around and sells them. He's selling them on, on a site he built with Squarespace. So it even like calculates shipping. It does everything. You can sell stuff. I mean, like you name it, you can do it there. And why would you build your own website? It doesn't make any sense. Go with Squarespace, save the time, and focus on the things that are important. Focus on your ideas, your music, your photography, your application, whatever it is that you're doing. Instead of spending a ton of time and a ton of money building a website, you can get started with Squarespace. You can actually save 10% on your first purchase and show support for this program if you use the code ROADWORK over at squarespace.com. So that's what you do. Squarespace.com, code to use is ROADWORK, and you'll get 10% off. Thanks very much to our friends over at Squarespace way up in uh, New York City for making this program possible. New York City. Thanks, Squarespace. I did an event the other day where I... um where I interviewed Adam Savage at the University of Washington. And it was exactly the kind of event that we both love to do, which is that he and I did no preparation at all. We went out and hung around all day and had some Thai food. And then we showed up at the university late, causing everyone on the production staff to be anxious. Mm -hmm. And we walked in and to a large room, the hub ballroom, and it was full of, uh, full of college people. And we climbed up on the stage and we started having a conversation that lasted a couple of hours. And that's sort of my favorite thing to do. And he obviously likes to do it too. So we, but we covered a lot of ground in the conversation about the, the maker culture that he's a real proponent of and kind of, you know, the tip of the spear of in a lot of ways promoting the idea that, we should all be, or not should all be, but that you can make stuff and making stuff is its own 
great thing and and we have a lot of cool tools to make stuff now and it was a really interesting event because of the several hundred people that were there you know a couple of different times i turned to the audience and said how many of you are science majors and a vast majority of people raised their hands a lot of them were engineers there were some math and physics people but several of the questions that came during the question and answer period you know were were questions about the divide between the stem curriculum and the what we used to call the liberal arts even though math and science are part of the liberal arts but sure. like how does a science person interact with a person that is studying books, you know, stories. And there, there's, there's a lot of consternation between those two worlds, right? The science people feel that they are the real intellects and that word people are just loosey gooseys. And <clears throat> the loosey gooseys, feel like they are the ones that are really using their brains and that science people are just automatons, just memorization uh, bots. And the, the, the clash between those two worlds has been in universities for millennia. But I think worse now than before because, because the, the science side at the university is now also seen as a pathway to wealth because we're in an era where the sciences and the computer realms are where wealth is generated and nobody cares about creators. Uh, I, don't, I don't mean makers, but like storytellers. Mm -hmm. I mean, there, there's no money in being a lit major. Um, and I think there used to be no money in being a lit major, but there might be fame. And there's very little fame in being a lit major now either. But there was that, there was that desire to, uh, from these questions I was getting at this event, there was this kind of plaintive desire to bridge that gap a little bit. And Adam Savage is a perfect person to ask those questions of because on his television show, Mythbusters, he had, a, his partner was strictly science guy. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. No interest in storytelling or in even really interacting with the audience beyond like watch this experiment that I devised. And Adam was the one that was always in injecting narrative into the show. And, and by having a story, he made you care about the results. And, you know, like he was the, he was the color of the program. And so he really believes in story and obviously really believes in science. But I think there are a lot of people that listen to our program that are, that probably, you know, fall on one side or the other of this, of this great moraine. And I sometimes come across as being, um, you know, I do a lot of kidding of computer scientists and science people in general, I do a lot of teasing yeah, over there yeah. of a group that doesn't, you know, that doesn't like being teased at that much. And that's part of why, 
But I want to, you know, I hope to be somebody that actually kind of bridges that divide because I like talking about science and thinking about science. And, but, but I'm a lay person. And I, and I imagine our audience are, um, are kind of an, the, the, the unusual group of people who are on either side of that divide, but are, but are predisposed to want to bridge that gap. Right. Right. Predisposed to being, because this isn't a tech podcast. And if you come to it by listening to, but you know, if they come to it by knowing you and your network or through knowing me through Merlin, like there are a lot of people from tech that find their way here, but it isn't about, tech and and so to stick around is to be interested in in these other things and if you come to this podcast through knowing me through my art and so forth and but there's an awful lot of we talk an awful lot about um such a wide range of things in the natural sciences and in the sciences that you know you, you didn't come here just to hear if you came here just to hear like comedy jokes or whatever, again, to stick around would be to find something interesting that wasn't, that wasn't just like right. Joshin. Right. So, and, and Andrew is a, you know, classic example right here. He's a writer, but he's a science fiction writer. He's trying to, uh, I mean, that's, that's one of the first places that you try and bridge that gap science fiction. And I think that that's the, that's gotta be the future of, I I don't think we can, we can keep having that schism, um, like we have for the last 40 years, maybe I think we've got to, we've got to mend that schism. And, um, there are a lot of, there are a lot of people doing this work, right? But, the podcast you know, work? No, no, no. The work of, of, I mean, Wired Magazine is a, is a great example of, of people that are trying to tell stories about science and make it yeah. interesting for, to the lay people. I mean, Discover Magazine is a great example of, of something that is trying to bring science to people who aren't, who don't want to sit and read the, read the code or read the formula, but they are interested in the, in that world you know, the world of, of dis- discovery, physical discovery in the physical world and in the, the theoretical world. And I say, I guess I'm, I guess I'm sort of bumbling along here because I feel like science right now is under siege by the, by popular, by popular culture. You know, the, the, like we all like scientists, we like them in movies and stuff. But but there's a there's a groundswell of contempt for scientific conclusions, and a complete misunderstanding of how the scientific method works, and and that the scientific method isn't is a, is attempting to eradicate bias or at least be aware of it, and not you know scientists aren't working with a they're trying not to work with a bias yeah, and they're being talked about in the, in pop culture now, like they're one side of an argument. And 
And I know that I know that burns their britches because they're like, we're not one side of an argument. <laughs> we're we're you know, we're making our own argument and trying to. I mean, they're not making it. They're not making an argument in the popular culture. They're making an argument to themselves about what the what their results are, right. what their experiment is going to be and what their results are going to be. I don't know. I don't want to be another. Another confused voice. But I, I'm 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 aware that throughout history there are dark ages. Yeah. And and I and I and I tremble that we're at the dawn of one. Yeah, we were talking about this a bit uh, last week, and I, there were a yeah. lot of people who responded to this. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think you're, um, I think you're on to something. Let me find oh, this. Yeah. yeah. Let me, I think there were a couple of emails. Can <laughs> I, can I share a couple of the emails with you? Sure. Uh, yeah, of course. Right, let me see. Uh, here we go. Um, some uh, un- unrelated to that particular topic, but we can get to that. Uh, listener Ryan, uh, says to you. I think more to me because it didn't say to Dan or John, but I think, I think it's directed at you. Please don't retire from Twitter. I love you both. I love you both, but I don't reply as to not bother you. I love the cast anyway, but I think, have you retired? Is it official? Oh, well, you were there. I see you tweeting or is it just, is that through Instagram that you're tweeting? No, it's all through Instagram. Yeah. Um, you know, there are a lot of my peers in the music side of things who announce that the band is splitting up. Yeah. Right. The, the LCD sound system broke up big, big, big public display of last show ever. They, they managed to put together a show at Madison square garden because it was their last show ever. And all the fans came out last show ever. 2013 or something 2016 put the band back together for a big, you know, for another go at it. Yeah. And I was so offended by that. Just like, it just, is just so lame. Like if you want to take three years off, take three years off. Just don't do anything for three years. Sure. Break up the band and have your big emotional last show ever. And then three years later, come back, come back for no reason. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not like I came back because my nemesis finally died or I came back because my mom needs the money or it was just like, oh, somebody asked us to play a big show and pay us a bunch of money. And we said, yes. And it's like lame. And, you know, a good friend of mine uh, has a band called the Fruit Bats. That's a great name. And they're a great band. And at some point he was like, I'm just, I'm over the fruit bats. It's just not doing it for me anymore. I'm going to break up the band. And I, we were actually talking to one another about, and I said, don't break up the band. Just put out a solo record or go do your own thing. And he was like, no, I really need the closure. I really need the closure of breaking up the band. And, uh, and I said, well, you know, it's your band. And so he, did a public breakup of the fruit bats. He went out and did it, did his last tour ever big fruit bats last tour ever. All the people came out to see it. And then he started his new career and he went and did 
tour or two, a couple of tours uh, with his solo act. And it's very hard to start over like that. I've watched a lot of friends do it. And nobody comes when you go back out on your solo tour. The first, one of the first tours the Long Winters ever did was um, as, the ba- as the support band for Ken Stringfellow's first solo tour. His first solo album, which was a great album, frankly. And we were his backup band. And also the Long Winters opened the show. So we played two shows a night. And Ken had just come off of, I mean, just weeks before the final, what at the time was billed as the final ever Posies tour. And he and John Auer went out and they were just playing acoustic, Posies acoustic shows. And they were just selling tickets hand over fist, a thousand tickets a night. And so right on the heels of that, Ken was like, and now here's my solo record and we're going to go out and I'm going to reap this, this harvest. And we went out and we had, I mean, his agent had booked pretty big rooms for this tour with the expectation of these kind of ticket sales. And uh, some nights it was a 600 person room with like 20 people in it. And to Ken's credit, like he puts on a hell of a show for 20 people, the same show for 20 people as he does for 2000 people. But it was, it was pretty, pretty bumpy road. Anyway, so, uh, Eric from the fruit bats, he went out for, for a while and did the solo tour. And then he was like, ah, no, nobody comes to those shows. I'm going to put the fruit bats back together. And he did. And now they're off, you know, they're on tour all the time and, and God bless him. Right. I mean, the fruit bats are an amazing band and I'm grateful but they never should have broken up in the first place is what I'm saying. And so am I all by way of saying, am I breaking up with Twitter? Am I permanently? No, there's no, I make no permanent. I make no sweeping proclamation, but since I haven't been going on Twitter, it has, it has removed one source and a, and a major source of unexpected insult. You know, yeah. like when, when you wake up in the morning and you walk out the door, um, you're just not expecting to get insulted. You're going through the day and, and those unexpected insults where somebody, somebody, you know, like, like a a drunk on the street shouts at you. It's sort of like, ah, that was, that was ugly to get yelled at, but water off a, you know, off a duck's back. But those unexpected insults where somebody's, you know, really rude to you in line at a coffee shop or, or your boss yells at you for no reason or, you know, those type of things, they add so much stress to your day that doesn't need to be there. And I, I'm sure there are a lot of people who live their whole lives in a, with, within a structure where they're getting insulted all the time. You know, they're in a, they're in a toxic relationship that every day there's some kind of toxic drama and, and they're carrying that weight in their, you know, that, their, that tenseness of waiting for the blow to come. Well, I try to, to live where in a way that I'm not getting insulted all the time and, and 
and running for office really sensitized me because every room I walked into, there was someone in there waiting to, to kick at me. Right. Because it's very competitive, right? That person maybe is only kicking at me because they are in favor of my opponent. And the way in politics that you show that you're in favor of your, somebody is to lash out at the person that they're running against. You know, it's very personal. But so Twitter became a place where when I went on, I, there were all these interesting conversations waiting, all this possible, all these interesting comments, people that I was curious about, people that I wanted to talk to. And then as you're scrolling through each new message is a new opportunity for somebody to be lying in wait there and saying, your idea is dumb or, or whatever. And it got so, it got so that I had this dread, you know, and I just don't want dread in my life. It's, it's a, it's a thing that you can do something about. You can try to, to excise dread if you can identify the source of it. And, I've been in toxic relationships Mm -hmm. and it's very hard in a toxic relationship, particularly if you, if you love the person and if you want, if there's all this good in the relationship and you want it to succeed and you, you, you're pouring yourself into it. But after a while, like if every day or every few days, there's another eruption of, just bad vibes, bad where you come out of it feeling bad and the other person feels bad and there's just bad energy in the room. Yeah. That's not necessary. You know, we don't have to choose that for ourselves. And, and at, at least because, because my whole life I've been a person that's not afraid of being alone. I, I feel like a lot of people are so afraid of being alone that they will pick they will they will choose to stay in a in a relationship that is toxic because they're because the alternative is to be by themselves and that's worse or it feels worse to them but being alone has never felt worse to me it's always a very pleasant uh pleasant alternative and i like being with people but i don't have to be so it's it's enabled me to 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 look kind of clear eyed at, at the things that make relationships talk toxic. Yeah. But I mean, there are there, you, but you hit on something. And I think for a lot of people being alone, being on their own, that, that is the worst thing in the whole world. And I've known people like that too. I think you're, you're on one extreme where you're like, well, I get lonely. I like people. Not always. And that puts you in a different space, I think, than a lot of other people who would probably be in a rather be in an uh, an unpleasant relationship than in no relationship. Yeah, I don't. I don't understand why you would rather be in an unpleasant relationship than no relationship. And I guess that is a. It's just a personality type. But, uh, but my relationship with the internet is, you know, it, 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 
it does a lot of the same business as a a relationship with a person. It's um it used to be during the honeymoon period that it was a really, really fulfilling relationship that maybe had a little bit of pathology in it. You know, it felt like a, a young relationship where we kind of went out and did a lot of drinking together, but we didn't fight that much. Right. We had pretty good we had pretty good sex. We enjoyed each other's company. We spent a lot of time just bumbling around, finding stuff out, you know, the young love. And then it became a, a mature relationship. And it was a place where my, where I was, um, where I conducted business right? and it felt like the people that I knew there were, were family. And I was, I felt like I was building a family there and the, and it was still fun. You know, it felt like a, like a pretty healthy relationship, but then it started to just go, go South. And my partner started to seem crazy and, and, um, and just got more and more abusive. It's It's good. You got out of that. Well, yeah. And I don't know what for a brief period when I started using Snapchat. There was never a moment on Snapchat where I said this is the future for me. My feeling on Snapchat was always from the from the moment I started using it till when I uh, when I petered out. It was always that there was some world of Snapchat that I hadn't found yet, you know, some like door into where Snapchat was going to be a a fun place where I wanted to be. And I never found it because I think Snapchat just isn't, um, it's not used that way. It's a, it's an utterly other attempt at, at, at a, at a form of being social. You know, it's not, it's not designed the way Twitter was, which, which felt, which Twitter felt normal to me. Snapchat feels other. So I don't know what the next, I think it's a great way to say it. Yeah. I don't, I don't know the next place that's going to be interesting. Um, because my, you know, my problem, Dan, is I'm not a natural consumer. Mm -hmm. And what was nice about Twitter was that I was able to consume, uh, the, like other people's output. And I was able to, because you can go through your timeline so fast, I was able to kind of flip through and say like, nope, I'm not buying what you're selling. Right. Uh, I like you as a person, but I can tell from this link that this is a, this is you're directing like you fooled me once with these links and I'm not going to go, I'm not going to follow your links again anymore person that I otherwise like. And then there were people that it was completely dependable, like anything they put on the internet, it was great. And it enabled me to consume what my friends were doing, to consume interesting things, to consume the news in a way where the buy-in was cheap. Right. But so now not being there, I don't know, you know, I don't have a natural 
impulse to consume that would drive me out to find another place to, to be, to find another place where it's like, give me that stuff. Give me that, you know, I'm missing all the things I'm, you know, like I don't really miss the news. I kind of, I'm, I'm reading, um, I'm getting the news through digests now, which like if via e- email great. digests. Yeah. There are a couple like next draft. Yep. He's a good one. He's good. And, and, um, you know, you, Quora. I've known Dave Pell forever. I mean, that's the kind of thing, newsletters and other things like that. I haven't enjoyed browsing the web and reading the web in a very, very, very long time. The web for me now for the most part is I'm writing code and I need to look up APIs and I need to look up code documentation. That's, that's the web for me, or I'm using a service of some kind or another to do a thing. And I'm with you about Snapchat. I'm with you about a lot of these other things. I don't have some people, and it doesn't sound like you do, but like some people have like a hatred because Snapchat is different and it's, it doesn't work the way that I like it to work. You know, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with there being lots and lots of things that aren't for me. That's just fine. It was very, it was a very weird transition for me because I've, I've never really felt on the outside of anything that had to do with the internet or technology. I mean, I remember when I was the, I remember when I was the only kid who knew how to work a computer. I remember being the only kid that I knew that could write computer programs I remember being the only guy that I knew that understood the internet and how it actually worked and what you could do with it. I remember being the only person I knew that could make websites, you know, and to go from, you know, being the, the answer guy, the IT guy for many years to, there's a lot of stuff out there that I'm sure I would understand it if I spent the time that it just, everything used to appeal to me. Anything that had to do with computers was very appealing to me. All of it, anything. Any kind of computer. I liked it all. And now I find there's a lot of stuff that just, yeah, I'm not that into it, you know? It's okay that it's out there, but I'm with you and that Twitter has become, we've talked about this maybe too much, but Twitter has become a place it's not fun to be really anymore. But what is the next thing? I mean, what do you think it's going to be? Well, for years... It's been clear to me that the internet was a place where I was expending energy, creative energy. I was spending a lot of time there. Um, and that time was not, uh, it was unclear how productive it was. I felt it was, it was fairly defensible that it was, that it was a very creative space. Um, and that a lot got done there. Like, I remember I had a big argument with my record label, with the with a particular guy at my record label, who was one of the executives there. And um, I was playing a show in New York, and I went to my record label's Twitter account, which was fairly new. And the Twitter account had hadn't been updated in a couple of days. And I wrote them and said, Hey, you know, I'm playing a show in New York tonight. Um, that seems to me to be the kind of thing that <laughs> yeah. my record label would 
went tweet promote and help help bring people to. Yeah. And the reply was, well, we don't like to, you know, the reply was huffy and said, we don't like to jam up people's inboxes. Um, so we just use Twitter to announce, you know, big things. And I said, you don't understand what Twitter is. You're not jamming up people's inboxes. It's not a newsletter. You tweet 10 times a day. It's a, everybody's on there all the time. You're, you're, you're looking for information from, if you, if, if somebody is subscribed to my record labels, Twitter account, they want to hear what's going on with people on the label. And again, pushback from, uh, from this person at the label saying, well, that's your opinion, but we know from, you know, from 1998 that if you send people too many newsletters, they're going to stop reading them. And I was like, oh my fucking God, like, <laughs> <laughs> Let me just walk you through this. Right. Like Twitter is a big part of of um Twitter has become a big part of my career, I said. Well, then I got this email that said, "Here is a graph of your record sales over time." Mm. And, he, and they had put a little arrow on the record sale graph where uh, that represented the day I started Twitter. Like this person at the label had gone and done this research. Right. Here's the day you started Twitter. And the point was that from that day, like my record sales were on a um, – we're on a graph and you know, your record sales are the largest when you release an album. And then there's a long, long tail as the, as your sales decline over time and you keep selling records, but just as a low burble and then you put a new record out and your sales spike and then they decline and blah, 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 blah. So the point of this was at that arrow, there was no spike of record sales and that my records, the, the graph of my record sales over time continued the implication being continued as though Twitter had no effect on how many records I sold. And it was meant as a kind of mic drop on, Oh, Twitter has a Twitter has helped your career. Well, no, it hasn't. <laughs> and it's not that I doubled over with laughter right. because, because it was insulting, but it was also, um, you know, wrong, right? Like there are other ways of measuring my career as a performing artist other than record sales. And I know if you're running the record company, that's the one that you're most interested in. But there are a lot of people from my generation. You know, I've had several generations as a musician. And most of the musicians that I was playing with when I was 25 didn't keep playing music past 
the age of 30. Mm -hmm. And most of the musicians I was playing with when I was 32, um, a lot of them aren't, a lot of them have, you know, diffused into different, different worlds, but they didn't keep a public profile beyond the, the end of their last, you know, they put out their last record and then they kind of, that long tail started to happen and now they're working somewhere. You know, they're not still in the music world. And I haven't put out a record in 10 years, but I have continued to have a career burbling along in the popular culture somehow. Um, it's almost entirely internet lo located. It's unclear exactly what my job is, but I keep, I keep percolating mm -hmm. and it's largely because of the, of the internet and my, my active enthusiastic participation in it. But it has not, the internet has not helped me put out a record either, right? I have not written and, and produced an album in 10 years and it's hard to say whether I would have if I hadn't had the instant gratification of initially Twitter and then the creative gratification of podcasting, whether or not the frustration, the creative frustration that would have built up in me would have caused me to keep making records at a faster pace, a faster pace than zero, mm -hmm. or whether the you know, whether my music career was going to do what it was going to do. And if I hadn't had these creative outlets on the internet, would I have ended up with a job? I, I don't know. I mean, I honestly don't know. It seems unlikely that I would have gotten a job, but then again, I was at a, I was at a point there in 2010 when I sure needed a job. Yeah. So I think if I'm going to back away from the internet, I have to back into something. And I think I have to back into making music again. Mm -hmm. uh, like back into doing creative work that is maybe more solid and hopefully more lasting. But it's going to be a... It's, there's going to be an adjustment because there isn't that instant gratification. There's, you know, I wrote some songs the other day and it's only because I never figured out how to post songs to the internet that I didn't immediately go post them to the internet because I was proud of them. And I was like, I want people to hear these. And if I'd been a person that had been sharing my musical output on my website, that was my impulse take these to the, take these to the web, you know, almost, I was almost prepared to record them on my phone and just, I, I don't even know what, I, how I would do it, put them on Instagram. I mean, I, I played a little snippet of it, uh, for you last week yeah. as part of your, yeah, the, pa the Patreon your, supporters all got to hear Patre it. Patreon after dark. And they loved it. <laughs> they loved it. Lots of feedback. People just, just loved it. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I loved it. I want to hear the whole song. Yeah, I would. Uh, you should send me that feedback. You, you you hardly ever send me an email, Dan. 
Do you want sure. emails? Because the, there was a long time. Uh, I would love to send you emails. There was a long time where if I sent you an email that you would say, oh, I, I don't check my email. Mm. Tweet me instead. Yeah. And then you went off Twitter and I haven't, I haven't, you know, I don't want to bother you, but I, yeah. I know you're busy. But I would love to send you emails. And a lot of these come in, though, as tweets. Most of the feedback that we get is on Twitter. A lot of people oh, tweeting and they'll tweet. They are they are CCing you in the tweet, but they're saying they loved it. They love the secret song. They're using hashtag sleepless. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's some goodwill still out there for you, I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I w- I've thought that there was, uh, I thought it was a great song. Yeah, well, the danger, of course, is that then you put all your you put all your demos on the internet, and then nobody um, nobody wants to buy your record. I don't know. I don't. I you know, people ask me if I, you know, they ask me my opinion about selling music on the internet, and I don't have an opinion because I just haven't. You know, in a lot of ways, the we've been through three iterations of selling music on the internet since the last time I put out an album, so. Like I have no way of knowing, no way of knowing whether the, whether, I mean, how to even begin selling music on the internet, but I'm going to find out. I'm going to find out because I'm going to write some songs now. I'm going to write some songs this year. And I know I've said it before. I know I've promised people that I was going to write some songs, but it does feel like the time. It does feel like the time to do it. 